0: I know what the measure of salt that goes into water is by my hands or like by how long i pour the bottle and it, you kind of wonder what, what will happen if I didn't do that but you don't, you just don't, it's just how you do it.
1: This is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dearlove. Last year I saw loads of people sharing pictures of a book online, had a really distinctive cover with a blue egg carton on the front open to reveal a single egg inside. The book is called Shelf Life, and it's by an Italian author called Livia Franchini. It centres around a 30-year-old woman called Ruth who works in a care home, and whose fiance has just broken up with her. And all she has left of him is their shopping list for the upcoming week. And the book takes the form of this list, so each chapter is written under the title of an item on the list, so to give you a few examples, there was six eggs, sugar, whole chicken, strawberries and there's some other non-food items on there as well but it is it is mainly food titles. And I got hold of the book and I read it and it's a very unsettling look at the breakdown of a relationship and the social expectations around women and relationships and um, the author, Livia, uses food within the narrative to such great effect. Like I kind of knew that I was going to enjoy it because I'm always interested in Uh, writing that is centered around food in some way and it's not a novel about food strictly but it is a novel in which we often experience the characters through their interaction with the food around them and there's kind of particular examples of this within the book and I've seen other people mention this one as well and you're going to hear more about it in the episode but the whole chicken chapter in particular was incredibly striking and I will never look at rotisserie chicken in quite the same way again. Livia met me at the door of her flat in South London and immediately took me to Browns of Broccoli, an amazing food shop, where she picked up the da wrapper that she needed for the oriacchetti dish she was making me. If you haven't had it before, da rapa is a bitter leafy green that's widely used in Italian food and is actually not that uh, widely available here. And as you'll hear, although this is how the dish would be prepared at home, Livia wouldn't often use it here as it's quite hard to get. We got back to the kitchen with all of the provisions and she cracked a bottle of organic Prosecco for us and got to work.
0: But I suppose, you know,
1: kind of thinking of home,
0: like there's so many little things linked to cooking, so what I'm about to do, which is in a spoon in the Prosecco to keep it fizzy. It's kind of, it's such a kind of, it's from the heart and a kind of, it bypasses rational thought and like that sound it's like Christmas because it's the only time you're really, you want to drink Prosecco at the dinner table normally but you'll have it for Christmas and if there's any left over you put a spoon in to give it fizzy. I don't even know if he actually does that and then you put it in the fridge. So that sound its like very specific kind of brings you home, you know. I think, you know, maybe a way to think about it is, is good to have something that feels like a tradition you can hold on to but also kind of Allows room for subjectivity, you know?
1: When I first got in touch with Livia, I was really interested in the idea of doing something around shopping lists. I personally have a strong attachment to lists. I make my own and uh, will often, to the great disgust of anyone around me, which is usually my husband, will snaffle someone else's up if I find it on the floor. And this is a rarer and rarer occurrence these days because most people. If they do make a list, we'll make it on their phone or whatever. So you don't really see physical lists as much. But I just think they're such an interesting snapshot of a moment in someone's life. And I'm always... So interested to wonder what people can tell about that moment from the list itself. Like what is ordinary, what's routine, and what's definitely not. And I think this is one of the reasons why I was so drawn to the book, is because this is a very particular moment in Ruth's life, and she has this very mundane list, and it's actually like if someone else saw that list, what would they be able to tell about Ruth's life? And the answer is probably not very much, and that's one of the things I find interesting about it. Mm. Livia replied to my email saying she wasn't actually much of a one for shopping lists herself but she was really interested in the prescriptiveness of some of the Italian recipes she grew up with and grew up cooking, and also how much of that prescriptiveness was conscious and how much uh, kind of simply just manifests itself in the underlying feeling of doing something wrong if you break convention.
0: We talked about prescriptiveness of Italian recipes, which which I still kind of stand by entirely, but in a bid to be very, kind of, um, <clears throat> authentic, I managed to order through the vegetables we usually use um, for, me- for making rocchietta with chemo di rapa. And they quite, this is quite hard to get in this country. Usually you can make this with broccoli, and that's what you'd do if you're a, an Italian immigrant to this country, because it's way easier. So we'll have to see, because I might have to make some tweaks. <laughs> to the recipe I usually use. So tell me about the prescriptiveness. Is that something you grew
1: up with when you were learning to
0: cook? Well, it's funny because I was thinking about it this morning with regards to the novel especially. And I think this is something that we all, like anybody who doesn't kind of adhere to what people have in mind as an, uh, you know, the ideal writer, who's usually a, a man over 50, white, and tends to be American, isn't it? At least yeah. when, where I was growing up, you know, all the, the real the writers, I, I never yeah. revealed this to, you know, <laughs> the, the the real British writers, I kind of keep this quiet, but maybe I should. But um, I mean, I was expecting that, but it's kind of one thing we talk about a lot with other young writers who come from different backgrounds or, you know, have different identities that are not that one identity that people expect <laughs> to pin down as the writer is that you you constantly get asked if what you write is about you. And the reality of it is with my novel, that isn't it at all. And the character, I mean, there's a pretty big giveaway considering that the character is a British woman Mm. and I'm not, but um, that still seems to come up to the point that, you know, I got married this year and I was telling somebody, this is uh, another writer, not from from Britain, who I met on a residency. And I was talking about the novel. He'd heard me read from the novel. I wasn't talking about the novel. I I was going to travel back to Italy and get married. And he asked me... And I said, you know, because I've, I've been with my partner for 10 years. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could tell from your novel. And I was like, yeah, but in the novel she's been with her partner for 10 years, but it starts with a breakup, you know, and it's quite a horrible break, And I've just read from it. <laughs> yeah. Still, you're going to see I'm I'm literally telling you. I'm about to get married, but still, you know, your willingness to assume that this is about me goes beyond the very fact of what's happening in my life which I've just told you about so that's quite weird I guess the thing about prescriptiveness was to do with in the novel we're trying to find a path forward where you feel legitimized by the fact that you're acting some way you know in somewhat in a correct way and then I I was thinking about it this morning when I was waiting for you I was thinking about um how that connects with food and I think it's quite Interesting that that's I hadn't made that connection with regards to the shopping list, even though most of the things are on the shopping list are food. And I think the idea of the prescriptive is like the, the kind of correct way to make something do something, but I suppose in my head it links with this idea of sharing food as a ritual that is always among other people. And one of the things that Ruth is missing in the novel. It's that connection with other people. So she has issues with food of her own, but she also always eats alone. So nobody, you know, or she hides away from eating with people. And so I thought that actually, you know, thinking about those connections, that's probably something there to do with trying to do things in a correct way, but in isolation from others, kind of following processes as opposed to sharing those processes with other people. Yeah. that's really interesting okay, it's yeah. a bit hazy yeah. but this is just me kind of in the shower thinking about it this <laughs> I love that
1: the idea of that is quite fascinating to me because it's like so much of food comes from like an oral tradition where it is passed yeah. down generation to generation and like but now I feel like we are moving forward into an era, I mean, but I think particularly in Britain, where we don't really have so much of an oral kind of tradition of oh. passing down food, like, recipes and stuff anymore. We, Like, I think people are very wedded to recipes and following them. And, this is
0: true, yeah. And, and that's
1: it, interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting whether that leads us to a detachment of in a sense experiences.
0: It does. But I guess there are kind of inbuilt, at least I can only speak about our own tradition of cooking but there are kind of inbuilt rules that you wouldn't break and you kind of feel quite uncomfortable breaking those rules even though they're completely you know for instance something that I can't bring myself to eat without and I'm not judging it but like you know a chip but it doesn't make any sense to me and I, I've tried it before and it's delicious but it doesn't occur to me to kick that and it's not about a judgment on double carbs because most Italians will eat pasta with bread but it's just kind of like oh but potatoes don't go in a sandwich kind of thing, you know, there's some things you don't do, certain foods you don't eat before a certain time of the day, it's what's susceptible psychologically, so yeah, one yeah. thing that's maybe useful is, uh, there's a really easy trick to to tell if um, a restaurant is genuinely an Italian restaurant or not, and the trick is if chicken shouldn't be where it is in this country, if, if, it, if there's chicken in pasta, there's chicken in sandwich, uh, unless it's, like, leftover chicken from the night before and you're kind of being creative with it. Or if they're chicken on, on a pizza, there's something, like, something's wrong with that. It doesn't mean it It doesn't mean it won't be delicious. It's just like... But, but, it, but you, you you know, you know that that's a big variation. And I don't know why we have... And some of these are really quite silly things to go by, but it's almost like a kind of inbuilt code of behaviour when you're cooking... I'm sure that there's other kind of versions of it with other, you know, other people, I suppose, um, who cook within different kind of traditions. I'm saying the word tradition a lot, but um, and it's not really quite silly, but um, yeah, it's something that I suppose structures your life. I've been in this country for nearly 15 years and I just know that I wouldn't eat. Like, A I str- well, I struggle. I don't know what it is, but I struggle in my head. Like, if I've got leftover pizza, I really struggle eating it for breakfast, and I, I want it. I'm just kind of like, well, I should wait for lunch because, yeah. you know. But it's, there's, I think, when you're far away from, you know, the kind of, the normality of it, it is also kind of reassuring to keep that identity somewhere in the house.
1: You yeah, know. I was gonna say, like, surely that they, the importance of traditions, is to you is like surely like as almost like as a product of being far away from the origin of those tradition yeah to like maintain that part
0: of your identity yeah and it's not something I will wish for anybody to enforce but for me I suppose it it's a little bit sentimental I guess but it also kind of you know food has that power of bringing you in, you know, bringing you back to specific times and places. And so that helps when you're an immigrant somewhere else, it helps to have that thing to kind of cling on to. Yeah, absolutely. But the prescriptiveness is quite bizarre, I think. And I think when I was writing the novel, it's kind of, you know, a, the relate, her relationship with food is quite strange in itself. And the only moment where you actually see her with her mum... Oh my god. Yeah, so yeah. so so the the kind of the relationship exists on the base they deny themselves that moment to come together and share something um that could potentially bring them closer and yet they are brought closer by that choice. So uh the whole chicken chapter is about is the it's the only time in the novel we see Ruth interacting in, I suppose in the present time of the narrative. Um with somebody that she's very close to who knows her intimately and that's her mother and she goes to visit her um bearing a a traditional gift which is um this roast chicken that she buys from sainsbury's and they're supposed to eat it together as the kind of sunday lunch and ruth's very upset because something's happened to do with her ex where she's discovered that he probably lied to her when he left her um saying that he was going to join a commune and so she kind of turns up very upset and now she has to face a mother with whom she has a good relationship but not an easy relationship and she um, they eat this chicken together uh, in a really kind of bizarre way should I say more No, no I think no. I'll leave it I think, yeah. yeah yeah so so it's kind of a bizarre Sunday insane. lunch yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah quite a strange moment between them uh, in which they're they're trying to you know Ruth's trying to support her mother by not upsetting her by telling her I've just split up with my fiance and her mother's trying to help her daughter in some ways but um yeah that the way they do yeah. that is quite bizarre and perhaps doesn't look very helpful uh on the surface of things
1: what made you use that as a scene? Like, what was it about
0: that that you found like so, illustrated with their relationship? Um, rotisserie chicken is uh, one, one of the things we have in the UK and we have at home. But also, OK, so in Italy, that's junk food. Right. And it's really not. So you go to the kind of town market and there will be, like, a stall sell- selling them and it will be those and, like... um fried cubes of polenta. Everything was fried and we would just go, our we teenagers would just um, bunk off the last two hours of school because it was Catholic education and I was in. sitting. You can opt out. It's, it's it's compulsory in, in state school, yeah. which is bad. But you can opt out. And my parents let me opt out. Um, and so I would leave school a couple of hours early and just go eat all these lovely fried foods. But then the chicken itself would buy with my parents on a Saturday when we went to the market and take it home and eat it. So as a family, and it was like the kind of Saturday treat. And then I kind of reinstated it as a tradition a few years back when I wasn't with my, uh, with my husband now, who's also Italian, and kind of added elements to it that we wouldn't have back home which is a cause load, which is delicious actually and it became like a kind of tr- tradition of its own it's really funny because whenever I think about that scene I think about this writer's workshop I was part of um a few years back um and one of the writers who was, at, uh, who was in that group was actually um Think Yeah, she's coming out in the spring with my publisher, which is quite a lovely coincidence because I hadn't spoken to her in a few years. And it's this writer called uh, Sarah Leitziger. She's coming out with a book called Coming Up For Air. And we didn't know each other very well at the time. We worked together for maybe a year and she's very, very perceptive. And I remember I brought in a draft of that scene. She looked at me and was like, this is really interesting, but I think they're sacrificing something. And I remember what she she said. She said, if they are, you need to know what it is and I kind of didn't and but it was such a moment you know that kind of stays with you it was like yeah they are you know it had to be some kind of body because it's also the first time in a novel where she's seen her ex and discovers that actually hasn't gone off to better himself he's up to something else she's yeah. not quite sure what's going on but that's the case and so yeah so it had to be some kind of something that had I think the title of the chapter is whole chicken so it's like a wholeness to it something you could take apart um, and kind of break into its component composing components i wanted to have a moment in which um because the whole book in itself is a kind of a breaking down of an experience into its component parts but i wanted to have a scene where that is kind of turned on his head and it's um and and women are seen actively breaking something apart and I thought that the moment emotionally didn't feel right for Ruth to do that on her own and I thought in this kind of quite upsetting way that was a way for them to do that together and kind of analysing the parts of something that happened Uh, and you know during a ritual of their own making which is probably quite a sad ritual but it felt like the right thing for them to do. (laughs)
1: It's, it was interesting to see Ruth interacting with another person who she had history with like that and who it felt like someone actually knew her. Yeah,
0: because yeah. You think so
1: much of the book is she's a stranger even to people that she sees every day. And, yeah, and so that was kind of a really interesting perspective, like not a healthy one.
0: But <laughs> no, not necessarily, but there is a you know there is a level of love there, and I suppose I was also thinking about different communication modes, like bearing in mind that everything I write. In this language ends up being... Maybe I'm kind of breaking through that barrier now, but tends to be, you know, written from quite a great distance because I'm not working in my first language. So every sentence is kind of very weighted. Well, there's instinct when I write the first draft, but I almost have to take that instinct in small doses because I'll get so insecure. It's not a right kind of urge. So, yeah, so it's kind of... To go back to the ritual, it's kind of like I was also thinking about communication breakdowns. I mean, I don't think it's surprising in hindsight, you know, when people ask, do you write from life? I don't in terms of content, but I think it's quite telling that the first book of a writer who's up operating in a language they didn't grow up in is so composite. You know, there's so many different kind of external perspectives mm-hmm. because that's the way I experience the culture here as well. And so this idea of communication breakdown, it comes out in a kind of very intimate moment but it's kind of at, at the heart of the novel. And I think there is compassion in that scene. It's just neither of them has very much power, doesn't know how to claim power. So you end up murdering a chicken from the recissory. <laughs> you should probably eat, because it probably will be lovely. <laughs> but, <you> know. <laughs> so yeah, really? but yeah, I'm going to be loud with this. Okay, so
1: this is the chimera wrapper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Salad in the
0: salad's spinner, which I
1: love. I'm such a game changer.
0: I know, right? I um I didn't buy one of these for ages because I thought maybe we didn't need it. They take up a
1: lot of space. Like I absolutely adore dishes. it. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to put these here. Something that's probably quite funny is that um, this is really hard. Is to, this anchovy page? Yeah. Oh, we bought it. Uh, <laughs> try not to support Amazon, but we did buy that on Amazon. <laughs> actually, you know what? <laughs> this is important to me. Anchovy paste is great, and that brand particularly is proper kind of grandma's kitchen.
1: Okay, okay, I'm going to
0: remember that. Balena, it's like... A lot of the kind of fancy brands here are actually like grandma's pantry kind of brands. Oh, funny,
1: yeah. So my
0: grandma's swear by Mutti tomatoes, which are quite expensive in London to get. But, but yeah. And they're least. probably fairly similar to other tomatoes in Italy because they're produced there. But she's just like, she's just the best, and this is all we will use for making, you know, tomato salsa. <laughs> Not salsa. Salsa is the Italian word, but like tomato so sauce. Yeah. Thing. But yeah, it's so quite.
1: So definitely. the Chimo de Rapa is going into this? Yes, food. it is. Oh, Sorry, oh, I'm oh,
0: very bad at this. That's no, <laughs> right. I can uh, you give can, an overview. You can give an overview. It's I it's can give you some Prosecco. I hope I was <laughs> meant to blanch it. I like blanching it because then the, um, when I make this with broccoli as well, like I cook it in the pan where the pasta's going to go. Okay, yeah. Because then it kind of retains the flavour. Mm. Um, so it's, I think it's the best way to do it. I get... Um, Because I live with two other Italians and my lovely, long-suffering British best pal um, (laughs) who works in food. Um, It's funny because, obviously, we've got different versions of how we cook stuff. I actually think I'm probably the best cook in the house. (laughs) But I let the boys believe that, you know, they're they're more prescriptive than me. They set alarms on their phones and stuff. So it's quite... I'm going I (laughs) see, but um, I get so, um, they take the piss out of me because they say I use too much olive oil (laughs) and I don't think there's such a thing, so, no, Um, but it's funny because um, I think it's probably because, and I I don't actually know where they're coming from, but it's partly regional because one of my grandmothers is from Liguria, which is where they make pesto, so pesto is from Liguria. And so does that, but also, I think it's because both my grandmothers, who were both incredible cooks and I kind of spent a lot of time with them growing up because my parents um, both worked, they both were incredibly poor during the war. you know, cooking with a lot of especially like olive oil and butter is like a treat, so I just grew up you know, and obviously things are more flavorful, they're slightly less healthy, but they're just so nice, and so I just can't you know I have. It doesn't feel like you it has to be sea- really, yeah, really, yeah, really well seasoned. But yeah, and so that was a real thing. My grandma's still to this day, well, she doesn't cook anymore, she's 92, but um, one of my grandmas used to make tomato sauce. And then when she put it in the plate, so it's made and it's been bubbling on the hop for a while. But when, then she went, when she went to plate up, she would add like a wedge of butter. Which is quite a weird thing for yeah. but yeah, so it's just kind of like added in and it was a real kind of, you know, this is the luxury we can have these things so it's a real thing, it's like a kind of, it's, it's to do with putting love in what you're cooking like if, it, if it's rich then it's a good thing
1: I find it really soothing to watch someone cooking by instinct the way that Livia does. The gentle crunch and the snap of the wrapper being prepared, the click and hiss of the gas hob and the sizzle as oil and anchovy paste hit the pan and then the greens are sauteed. How the water rumbles as it's brought to the boil for the pasta. Livia cooks pasta without timing it. She laughs about her fellow Italian housemates setting timers on their phone to cook. She says it makes them far more prescriptive than her. As a British person, and therefore a very late adopter to the notion of al dente, I'm eternally impressed by her cooking perfect pasta by sight and experience, prescriptiveness or no prescriptiveness. If there's
0: one thing that's autobiographical in the book is that my grandma was actually a singer. She came from like a really, really poor, um, well, kind of occasionally working class, but occasionally, you know, very hard to get work because it was the war times as well, mm. background that she used to sing in this little, I think it must have been like a kind of four piece little jazz band of some sort. Really interesting to know about that is that uh, the fascist regime band or jazz music? Um, I didn't know that well, because it was imported So they didn't want to have an external influence on the country. So what jazz musicians would do is they would take the standards and rewrite the lyrics in Italian. And they're all love songs because they would kind of, you know, take out anything that was potentially kind of subversive. She was basically a jazz singer, although you wouldn't call it that because we didn't have jazz per se. And she would go around, you know, she worked during the day. Uh, she was working in a textile factory. And then in in the evenings or weekends, she would tour the hospitals in which um, sick soldiers, injured soldiers, would be taken in and sing for them for morale. And that's how she met my granddad. So there's a, there's a singing old lady in the book who I've given a different story to, but that is... Initially, when they got together, her family were like, why would you get together with somebody who's like in hospital you know which is non-PC but this is what a working family would think because they needed you know they needed the help but then they realized that he was um a tenente I don't know what it's like a surgeon and he was a surgeon because he was a primary school teacher before the war and so because he'd studied to the end of college he was put at higher eleven in the hierarchy and when they found out that he was a primary school teacher they were like go on then like marry him because it's like upward mobility you know in in a very small way but yeah so she is in the in in the book and the book is dedicated to her and the dedication says for and the niece and that's um my grandma was from Lombardy, so the Milan region um and she so there's a big kind of tradition of primary school educators in my family so my granddad was the primary school teacher and so was my mum my auntie was actually kind of kindergarten but everybody's a kind of state school educator and so everybody's kind of really into doing creative things the kids and so my granddad wrote his own memories before he passed away like his memories of growing up and then my auntie was like why wouldn't my mum Write her own memories, so they kind of made her write her own recollections, and in the video she's reading from those, mm-hmm. and the little book's called Fragui. Fragui means um, it's a dialect word, so it's not an Italian word; it's a dialect from Lombardy, and it means um, sweet crumbs. So it's what, and and what they were, <laughs> you used to go to like a bakery, and if you couldn't afford buying like a bun, or you couldn't afford buying a cake. Uh, or anything like that what you could do is you could save up your your pennies and then with those you could buy basically what they were going to toss out you know anything that was like badly made or like they give you like a like a kind of paper bag and it was wrapped up so you didn't know what was in there so she'd go with a mate and then on the way home that compete they open up the pack the, the the parcel Oh, mine has got a sweet like a boiled sweet. Her friend will be like, "Oh, mine's got a squash like a claire <laughs> and that's what it means. Like it's kind of the leftover crumbs of sweet things. But but in again to go back to that idea of like a celebration. That they were saying this is a treat for us, you know, having something sweet, was knowing that, you know, it was a holiday that is Sunday, you know.
1: That is so, so beautiful. Yeah. I God.
0: really want to translate it.
1: What an amazing title for a memoir as well. I know, that? right? Oh and it's about
0: fragments as well. So when I found out, and the memoir itself is in fragments, because obviously... She didn't sit down to write a whole book, both because she was working very hard to kind of keep her family going, and also because she is not something she would have done if she wasn't made to do it. And it, it's just really lovely. It's just a lot of memories of kind of growing up in Italy, and so many of them tie in with food. Rimasti
1: nei erano i che venivano venduti. Se partiva io e Enea E Duccia con 30 ghei, centesimi. Si andava a piedi a Gallarate, distante un chilometro e giù, e più al ritorno per le le strade, si aprivano i cartocci, si guardava un nel mio, nel mio c'è dentro. La caramella, un pasticcino sbrecciato. I dolci per noi erano un modo di riconoscere la festa. That's taken from a video Olivia made of her grandma reading from her memoir Frugui which you can watch on the Lecca website I'll embed it there uh, and you can also read more about the episode and see the recipe for the chimeda de rapa con orecchietti that Livia made in this episode that's leckerpodcast.com. Livia Franchini's first novel Shelf Life came out in paperback last week and you can buy it wherever you usually buy books online or IRL. It's a beautiful, strange, compelling book that will stay with you, especially that whole chicken chapter, which I imagine you're now dying to read if you haven't already. Go get it. If you enjoyed this episode, there's also a little bonus bit of the interview going out in written form on the Lecker tiny letter. Subscribe if you'd like to read about the secrets of choosing perfect ripe tomatoes. tinyletter.com forward slash Thank you so much to Livia for being part of this episode and for making me the perfect pastor. You can find her on Twitter at Liv Francini, that's Frankini with an H. And thanks to you for listening. Please rate, review, all the rest of it. It really does help other people find us. Uh, find Lekker on social media and shout it from the rooftops, you know the drill. We're at Lekker Podcast on all. See you next time.